Glad Tiding is brought to you by Bet365, the world's favourite online betting company. By downloading the Bet365 app, you can access both pre-match and in-play markets, along with instant match updates for all games. The Bet365 Bet Builder also allows you to make personalised bets via the app, so you can bet on multiple scenarios and create your own bet with unique odds right there in your hands. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sports betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Hello, welcome to Glad Tidings, the Athletics Evan podcast with me, Greg O'Keefe, and Paddy Boyland. For ad-free podcasts, make sure you subscribe to Athletic and listen through the app. You can get a 40% discount now by using the code EvertonPod. That's the code EvertonPod. Paddy, hello. How are you doing? Not bad, thank you. Uh, after several aborted attempts at recording the intro... It's been, was, a, been uh, a very professional job so far. <laughs> and, uh, we're continuing the theme from last week of, of being in a we are. in a different location. We're kind of hopping between centre establishments at the moment. Yeah. Actually, just on Castle Street, for anybody that knows Liverpool, in the heart of the uh, financial district, at a nice coffee shop called... Um, was a Castle Street Coffee, um, another one that Everton, some of Everton's footballers like to frequent from time yeah. to time. We aren't stalking them, I promise, <laughs> but we do like the coffee, so we've decided yeah. to come in. I think there were a few comments, weren't there, about how it almost appears to be a little bit more kind of laid back yeah. when we record in, like, say, Ropes and Twines or Castle Street Coffee. So we thought we'd continue the, uh, yeah. the theme today. It's quite nice. I enjoy it. Yeah. Kind of laid back. Definitely. Well, I hope the uh, background noise is, is, uh, doesn't disturb you, and as you say, Maybe we'll benefit from um, being a bit more laid back. Although, if you'd heard my my attempts at doing this intro a few minutes before, you might not agree with that. It, it's almost like I don't. The listeners might, might not be able to hear it, <laughs> but it's like a constant stream of Fleetwood Mac songs in the background. So I'm always wondering if it is Glad Tidings as a Fleetwood Mac special this week. I, I quite like it. I, yeah, I, I do. The Coral Run before as well. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, we're all, uh, it's all good. It's all good. Right. So speaking about being laid back, you're recently returned from Amsterdam, yeah. where you went to speak to when Ajax speak to John Heitinger. Um, obviously, World Cup finalist, really impressive in his time, Everton player. And uh, now, again, stuff about being impressive, a coach, up-and-coming up coach with a good pedigree, good reputation, yeah. and eyes on a future in the game of sculpting teams in his formidable manner. What did you uh, What did you make of that? I'd recommend the piece, by the way, if you haven't read it. Really do. It's a great interview with Heitinger, but what was he like sitting down in front of him, Pat? It was, it's really interesting because I think he's been on our radar for quite a while. Yeah. Because, obviously, he's an Everton attachment, there's an Everton link. He's an interesting character and we know that from his time at Goodison. But there are so many other issues you can get into with him. So you can talk about being only the fifth player to be sent off in a World Cup final, yeah. what it meant to play in that game, which was a real battle. And it wasn't a great football on occasion, but it was a World Cup final and a, a, a game I think that everybody will remember basically for the rest of time. But he's also known as well for his work now with Ajax's under-19 yeah. side. So I, I went to the academy the second day. He invited me personally off his own back to, to watch a session and see his methods firsthand. Uh, and that was fascinating. It just kind of paints a picture of a guy that does want to speak about a number of issues, but he wants to speak predominantly about his time at Everton. And it was funny, I was kind of stood on the sidelines watching him. You could see how he's carried his footballing 
kind of style yeah. and attitude into his coaching. But I was speaking to people at Ajax and they were saying, well, he's dutiful in his media obligations and he, if he has to do something, he absolutely will as yeah. Ajax's under-19 coach. But sometimes there'll be something that's optional and they say, well, you know what, I don't fancy this today, I've done an awful lot of media. Whenever there's a request about Everton, no. Yeah. He absolutely snaps your hands off for it because he, he loves talking about Everton. I think if one thing shone through to me while speaking to him and then writing the piece, it was just how he looks back on his time at Goodison. Yeah. It, it, it struck a real chord and he feels like an Evertonian. He's the, the, the line in the, in the piece is, Everton is my club as Ajax is my club. And Ajax is obviously the first club that he, he came through at. He's now back there now. So it tells you something about how much Everton has meant to him. And it was good to kind of delve a little deeper into some of the stories. I mean, there's, there's one, we, we opened the piece basically with him talking about shoulder barging Ashley Cole yeah. in an FA Cup game. Remember that so vividly? Well, I everything mean, from I the think... kit they were wearing to how shocked Cole was at some sort of old school tactic like that. Yeah, well, he, uh, Cole obviously skied the penalty and Everton, the went on, yeah. Everton went on to win the game. But what, what was funny was that he was saying, even to this day, he still gets messages from Everton fans wanting to talk about that with him or, at the, or just saying oh yeah, on this day five years ago yeah, you did yeah, this yeah, yeah. <laughs> for example and he, he likes kind of engaging with that kind of stuff he was at pains to point out though he didn't want to solely be remembered for that he of hoped, course yeah, he yeah, hoped yeah. that people remembered his kind of footballing ability and his desire to fight for the shirt and I think in fairness fans do as well yeah of course it's just a part of a, me- a memorable moment in his Everton career isn't it yeah. Uh, I like the image that you conjured, you know, from when you watched the session <laughs> of how he was like dictating the sessions. Do you want to just touch on that? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was, like I said, I was on the sidelines, very close to where he was conducting his session, and the, the session, as with any training session, was split into multiple parts. But after a, a, a quick warm up with the kind of conditioning side, he arranged, he split the pitch into two, into two small pitches, I should say. <laughs> and had a team of three looking to put the ball into three different goals and like effectively a rondo with a couple of guys in the middle trying to get it off them. The team that was attacking was only able to shoot a goal after they made five passes and it was really quite difficult to keep hold of possession Yeah, with a couple of lads kind of pressing really hard in a tight confined area. The pace of the session was absolutely relentless and Heitinger was there. The, the enduring image for me is, is him crouched down barking out instructions going mad shouting to his players I was I was stood there with another Ajax coach and I was asking him what he was saying he was telling me he wants them to press he wants them to to kind of be a bit more physical and, and to get in the faces of the opposition a little bit more and their teammates actually not the opposition but the, the, the Ajax under 19 teammates and that's something that he admits he's carried over from his time at Everton he says he remembers how intense training sessions were under David Moyes at Goodison and a Finch Farm yeah. and how he felt it set the team up to do well when they went out onto the pitch because yeah. they were kind of battle hardened <laughs> and it was very easy to sustain injuries I think in the UK it's, it's kind of a given that when you play in small sided games you wear shin pads most players do in training but in Ajax apparently the protocol is not normally to do that there's not normally a lot of physicality in training sessions that has definitely changed the Ajax under John Heitinger um, <laughs> which is not a surprise for anybody that watched him throughout his Everton career do you know what in theory wouldn't it be interesting to see a manager and, and hopefully it is Heitinger in the future who can marry that physicality and intensity of, of let's say at its very peak a Simeone 
shall we say I don't know why I happened to think of him this week yeah, yeah, yeah. but Simeone and then the technical sort of purity and, and emphasis on technique of like a Pep and if you could get them both into one side you'd have some team wouldn't you with the Ajax philosophy but with that toughness because one thing you can throw at Ajax teams in the past is that they've kind of been a bit too easy to bully or bit wishy-washy maybe stride, yeah. a bit, bit wishy-washy so it sounds like he could um, be onto something there and uh, who knows down the line obviously Everton are fortunate and, and right in the um, in the middle of not the middle just at the start of Ancelotti's reign and long may it continue but you never know down the line whether he might have a role in the Premier League and you know if he brings that sort of quality and that sort of in- innovation could he be a good as someone day? Well yeah he's doing his pro licence uh, finishes it at the end of the season I believe so part of that pro licence he's obviously the under 19 manager with IX, but he shadows the Ajax first team so he was actually great we just had a chat off off air about hacking Ziyech for example who's, who's on his way to Chelsea very very complimentary about him and what he's going to bring to the Premier League which is unfortunate I guess if you're an Everton fan and hoping to compete with uh, to compete with Chelsea yeah he's a good signing isn't he he, he is and I mean Heisinger spoke about his influences his aspirations as a, as a manager and he does want to coach at a top level mm. and it, I mean he, he openly said Everton's a club close to my heart and mm. I'd, I'd be interested in managing a side like Everton somebody like Everton you could see him uh, progressing in Ajax but he's, he's keeping all of his options open and it's that kind of like you say it's that Ajax DNA as he put it with the extra fight yeah. uh, that came to really <laughs> categorise yeah. uh, and encapsulate Heisinger during his career so uh, after interviewing him his progress is something I'm going to keep an eye on yeah. now I'm intrigued to see how it goes for him but I can only be complimentary of how hospitable both he and Ajax were with me. They didn't have to invite me to a training session. Yeah, yeah, no. They great. didn't have to spend like the, the press officer kept on looking over as, as it, they, 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 she didn't sit in. Sophie, the press officer, on the interview, but she kept on looking over and saying, "Is it? Are you, are you guys okay? Is everything all right?" It says normally I stop. I, I, I tried to stop it after about half an hour. We spoke for 65, 70 minutes. And we could have gone on for longer. I could have spoken to him all day about some of this stuff. So, fair play to him. He obviously loves Everton, wants to speak about his time at Everton, and, and fingers crossed he kind of continues to progress his coaching career. Yeah, here, here. But it's interesting, isn't it? Just to conclude on this section as well, you could have down the line a real bun fight of that Moyes generation of players who are now currently doing the badges. Heitinger, Phil Neville has obviously done his badges and is coaching at a high level already, but not yet put his toe into full-time club management I know he had a spell with Gary at Valencia but he hasn't actually been a a, a first-team manager himself Tim Cahill who's doing his badges and close to doing his Ray Ferret Um, Seamus Coleman's doing his badges Seamus yeah you know there could be all these potential coaches who've all been fantastic characters in the dressing room and goodness knows what they'll make in the end the long run of managers but it's interesting some decent coaches coming through it it is and you've missed the really obvious one I have yeah (laughs) Mikel Arteta just going to say I mean, just by chance, Everton are playing on Sunday, of course. Um, indeed, indeed. Well, um, it was like, one of the things I didn't include in the piece because it wasn't strictly on the record was that he was he did speak about his surprise um, and a slight disappointment that Everton hadn't moved for Arteta. Heisinger, he, he, oh, really? like, he likes Ancelotti, and he's been very he's very positive about yeah, yeah. Everton having now a, a top level coach, yeah. as, he, as he puts it, and he thinks the trajectory is now an upward one which obviously most of us would be inclined to agree yeah. but he, he said like I see Tim's doing his badges yeah. um, and his licence 
Mikel's obviously back in the game. I did wonder at one point if the two of them would end up at Everton yeah, almost. Yeah, and I guess, yeah. I guess some of some of the rest of us have wondered that at times. Maybe that ship has sailed with Arteta because of Arsenal. If he does well with Arsenal, you almost think he might go on to manage a top Spanish club yeah. or the Spain national team. But if he bombs, he's probably not going to have a chance at a, at a job yeah, like Everton, yeah, is he? Yeah, so yeah, exactly. um, maybe that ship has sailed. But um, he was very good mates with those two. He, was, he, he, yeah. he spoke about his little crew that he had at, um, yeah. at Goodison and I no think Royston Farm. <laughs> Royston didn't make the cut. <laughs> Royston didn't make the cut, but he spoke very highly of, of both Tim Cahill and Mikel Arteta. And obviously one of the lines I did include in the piece was him talking about the almost symbiotic relationship between Leighton Baines and Stephen Pienaar. And yeah, I was, well, was slight, slightly yeah. surprised that Leighton Baines didn't play for um, a Champions League a regular Champions League I mean he could have gone to United couldn't he but Bayern Munich as well yeah of course yeah, yeah. But, I mean had he followed Fellaini to United and I'm glad he didn't because um, you know, he arguably had his best season well one of his best seasons under Martinez that yeah. the ensuing summer uh, season sorry but who knows what it might have meant well certainly he would have played Champions League in the first instance but then long in the long run who knows you know yeah. no guarantee he would have had the longevity that he's had at Everton it's only now really that he's playing a, a bit of a second fiddle I do actually tend to agree though that he would have probably wherever he'd gone carried on at the highest level well, he, was a, he was a very good footballer and yeah. John himself said look that, that was a guy that was probably at his peak around Europe for a, for a number of years and what one of the best attacking fullbacks around. Entirely right, I could completely agree. I mean, he, he did this place Ashley Cole in the England side for a, for a short while and Ashley Cole was no no slouch himself, no, obviously, even if he was coming to the end yeah, of his yeah. the yeah. end of his time a little bit. I just wonder with Baines though, he's, he's, he's a home bird and he, he, likes, he likes his Merseyside environment, he, he likes kind of going around, doing his photography, living close to the beach up in up in Formby and I just wonder if actually in order for him to perform at his best he needs to feel that secure environment maybe maybe for him moving to say Manchester United or even like a, a, a Champions League club in, 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 in on the continent in, in mm. Europe I wonder almost if that was never really a, a big aspiration for him that all he wanted really was to, to play for Everton perform at a good level and, and kind of almost take it from there simplified if you will Possibly, mate. Yeah, I know he's. I know he's a very, you know, fiercely proud sort of dad and um, son and um, you know husband as well. And I think he would have put probably the needs of his family first. I think he's never been someone who's been particularly motivated by money. So yeah. the fact that he's got the three, uh, four kids um, in local schools and you know is near to his mum and dad and you know Rachel, his wife, is near to her parents. I probably think that he's just settled in the area. And like you said, lovely spot where he lives in Formby up out on the coast and um, you can get the train into town when he's on his days off yeah I just don't think it's ever been a burning aspiration of his I think he would have loved to have played in the Champions League with Everton uh, he would really have loved to lift a trophy with Everton and I think the only thing that underlines that double underlines that is, is to know that after this season yeah. you know after the game against Leicester it breaks my heart to remember it really the way we went out on penalties but he was one of the, the numerous players who were like almost in tears in the yeah, because I think they realised that, especially for Leighton, a couple of years old than Seamus, probably his last chance, really. Well, I think the, the other thing as well, at different stages in career, different opportunities open up, of course, and at his absolute peak, he was good enough to play for a, a European side, wasn't he? A yes, top, top European yeah, yeah, side. Yeah. 
and he was good enough to play for England too which I guess kind of reinforces that first point but now later on in his career you have to assume the opportunities have been there to to go to the US to go to MLS and and provide I just wonder if I mean maybe maybe that's still on the table for him I don't know I couldn't I couldn't say with any degree of certainty at this moment in time without digging into it but I just just wonder if maybe just he's decided like you say he's a he's a family guy He's, he's quite happy with his lot and he he might not want to necessarily uproot his family to a Los Angeles or a, yeah. a Philadelphia. I think was one of the one of the rumours, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, Philadelphia. Yeah, I think that was de- definitely the case for him when the kids were younger. I, you know what? I would guess that his contract's up in the summer. I wouldn't be surprised if he decided to to go to LA. Uh, he loves LA. He regularly goes out there on holiday himself. Fair play if you. I mean, and you know a what? Nice place to live, I yeah. think I'd be doing exactly <laughs> the same if I were him. Anyway, um, let's talk about a bit of a different sort of change in tone, really, in the sense that it was unexpected but very interesting news. Uh, Everton switching or, or announcing that they would be switching sponsors uh, at the end of the season, or rather, I should say, their agreement with Sport Pacer, the Kenyan betting company, will be coming to an end. Um, they will be, you would imagine, announcing a new shirt sponsor. Um, you did a piece about this. We should probably say before we go any further and talk about like the, the ins and outs of uh, gambling and, and sponsorship. I mean, it's you've got to acknowledge that this podcast, if you're listening to it free, yeah. i.e., you're not a subscriber, you'll hear me reading out an advert for Bet365. Yeah. So, full disclosure, you know, it just shows you really that um, sport gambling and, and the industry uh, go hand in hand at the moment. Yeah. And whether you like it or not, it's a it's a, a it's a, a factor, and it's from clubs to associated media but Everton have decided it's not for them and um, as I say your piece explained a little bit about the background and what's going to happen next yeah it wasn't a, it wasn't necessarily a comment piece from me it wasn't me giving my own thoughts necessarily on on Sport Pesa instead it was like you say a look at how the decision was made why it was made and what's likely to follow next what's likely to follow on so like you say there, there's a very specific context here and it's a, there's a wider context, and then there's there's one that's particularly pertinent to Sport Pesso and Everton. The wider context, as another one of our reporters wrote last week, Adam Crafton, is that the British government at the moment, key figures close to the British government, advisors like Dominic Cummins, but advisors to Boris Johnson, are weighing up, seriously weighing up, whether to try and outlaw gambling logos on the front of football shirts so there is pressure being applied I think by ministers and, and various mm. other people yeah um, but then you look into things closer to home and you've got Sport Pesa who had their own gambling license revoked in their native Kenya uh, back in East Africa they then pulled out of that market Sport Pesa although I know they're, they're still popular in Tanzania among, among others um, but these are all problems that kind of mount up and you look at other things as well and a few social media errors from the official Sport Pesu account and, and everything else and we knew, I don't think it shocked us that Everton have ended their association but I think maybe it's a shock that they've ended it this soon if that makes sense. It's going to run out at the end of the season so two and a half years to go on their deal running until the end of 2022. They have decided that this is not for them anymore. And that's not because the government have applied the necessary and adequate pressure to get it done. It's just that a review is being conducted by Denise Barrett-Baxendale, the CEO, 
and various other people at the club and they've decided sport pe- person now is not for them. Now, if you think back to January in the general meeting, you had Denise Barrett-Baxendale saying on the record in what might have actually been a bit of a faux pas anyway, or at least a precursor to what, to what happened. She did say, ideally moving forward, we wouldn't have a gambling logo on the front of our shirts. So maybe that was the, the indication that mm. Everton were looking to move in a different way. And I think it's become increasingly difficult for Everton to marry the two concerns here. The fact that they are sponsored and they have to carry through their arrangement with the betting company, but also that they are a, a club, perhaps more than any other in this country, mm. that place great emphasis on their own innovative and pioneering charity, Everton in the community. How do you, I mean, most sponsors do activations, don't they, where they where clubs will rake in more money and a sponsor will help out. And like you could maybe a community event sponsored by Sport Pesa. But how can you have a community event sponsored by Sport Pesa? It's it's difficult, isn't it? Because it's, it's a thorny one, isn't it? Yeah. It, it, because I mean, like you'll have people within the community that have got problems with gambling, for whom gambling is not a positive association. So I think that 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 became increasingly difficult to marry. But it wasn't the only factor that stressed. That's been stressed to us. Just as much it's been about Sport Pesa accepting Everton, Everton's request to pull out early. Sport Pesa agreed, and we know that that's, that, that that's something that they did buy into. And also, of course, you've got, um, you've got Everton trying to um, develop and move forward with the commercial deals they're pulling off. And so what do you think's next? Is it, is it, you know, a blue chip, different type of company like a bank? Or... Well, that's what they're looking for, isn't it? That's what they've said. They've said they want a blue chip sponsor. Um, so that's what, it's a bank, it's an airline, it's, I mean, you look at the top four, funnily enough, they're not betting companies, but most of the rest of the Premier League are, do have betting companies. Outside the top six. Yeah. Outside the top six. And I guess this is the other thing to stress here, if we're going to give a, a 360 perspective on this. You've got a situation in which most clubs outside the top six have been to an extent financially reliant upon the income from betting companies because betting companies have been the one that have actively looked to tap into the market. That's sports fans and Premier League fans. Yeah, yeah. If you're Liverpool or Arsenal or Manchester United, maybe you can go with one of the world's top airlines. But those top airlines haven't always come to Everton. Now, I'm, I'm not... I'm, I'm not registering a position here as to whether I'm for or against gambling sponsorship. I'm just saying that that's something else that you need to consider. And I think Sport Pesta gave Everton just under 10 million, as I wrote in the article, when you include add-ons and bonuses yeah. per year. Everton now need to replace that. And with the losses they made last year, they need to best that deal. Yeah, so yeah. can they find that blue chip sponsor? We know that talks are ongoing. Yeah. We know that there are interested parties. Some of the things that have been written on Twitter and and uh, on social media have been slightly premature or wider the mark um, but those con- discussions will continue and it's up to Everton now it's up to Denise Barrett-Baxendale and Alan McTavish um, part of the commercial team head of commercial to find a deal that eclipses what Sport Pesta were given Everton with a more reputable company with a company there that is a bank that is something else it's just a slippery slope though I don't know what you think about this I mean Everton had Chang before it's, it's an alcohol it's a good point. You know, yeah, it's a good point. So, I mean, where do you draw the line? Obviously, cigarette brands can't sponsor. Well, absolutely shirts, not. No, you know, rightly so. But 
you look at the NHS are constantly talking about the damage that alcohol and binge drinking does to um, well just the just society in general to, to people who drink excessively um, you know of a weekend in A&E's it's a massive problem loan providers gambling companies yeah I mean, all, all these companies that are very kind of exist in a grey area morally and ethically yeah are also the ones that have the huge surpluses of cash in there and the jet the desire to generate publicity by getting involved getting better football it's the, the demographic isn't it because what brands are looking for is a target demographic that kind of meets their own aims and ambitions now you look at you look at the Premier League market, sports fans, people that are going to go to watch the game with their mates, going to go to the pub, going to go to the stadium. Potentially, then gambling becomes a, an option for them, doesn't mm-hmm. it? it? It's target market for, for gambling companies. Same with alcohol companies, and that's why you've seen like Budweiser and McDonald's sponsor the World Cup before. Yeah. Closer to home, we'll have a load of American listeners, of course. But closer to home, there's a new cricket competition starting, the hundred. And every single franchise in that is sponsored by a snack company. Yeah. So it, you've got this ludicrous scenario where you've got skips, the the, uh, the crisps, <laughs> and kind of mini cheddars on the front of um, these really garish, over the top um, cricket uniforms. So um, it, yeah, but and then you've got to at the same time acknowledge the challenge of the people charged with commercially growing these brands, whether it's a club or a league or and that there, there isn't money and sponsors growing on trees and sometimes imperfect situations have been the compromises and you know maybe Everton have had to with uh, Chang and Pazer although I know Chang I, I have to say like I have no issue with the sport Pazer an organisation no. but I know Chang and Everton have a particularly harmonious relationship and yeah. I, I went out to Bangkok with Chang when I, in, a, in a different uh, when I was working for a different company covering Everton and um, it was just like a really kind of <laughs> as massive beer alcohol producers go they had a really kind of good ethic you know they treated the communities that, that they worked in really well and had a great relationship with Everton and it was weird that um, not weird but it was interesting that Everton still retained them as a community partner even yeah. when the shared sponsorship ended and I don't think the same is going to happen with Sport Pacer no I think no, it's just the, no absolutely absolutely not thanks okay. and farewell yeah but um, it's it's an issue it's not going away as you say Cummins and you know, several figures in Whitehall are keeping the pressure on betting in football. You only have to watch an average game on Sky or BT and, and look at the commercials in between the game, and like 90% of them are for betting companies. It's a reality, so it's Awful. interesting one to watch, but maybe Everton, I suspect, have been a bit savvy in, in getting out before it becomes even more contentious of an issue. Well, it's on their terms, isn't it? They've instigated this. The government's haven't instigated it. Sport Pesa certainly haven't instigated it. Um, so it, it's Everton's decision. They've done something before they've been pushed um, or potentially would have got to the stage where they could have been pushed. Um, now it allows them a period of time in the run-up to the end of the season mm. to pursue other arrangements and other agreements. Like we say, an ongoing review has taken place. And it's not just Sports Pesa that was up for debate and up for grabs. They're looking at the association with Angry Birds, which runs out soon, uh, which I believe has been quite successful so far, but it's not a given that they sign on again. That's the sleeve sponsor, Angry of course, Bird the first the... sleeve sponsor in Everton's history, so that's an interesting one. That, that, that's another avenue to explore. Um, plenty of other things might be um, match day suppliers, match day sponsors, kit suppliers, all that kind of stuff is up for grabs. 
Um, and I think we will see a fair amount of change over the next few years because because of the finances of the club and the losses that were made, I think there's an acceptance from all that Everton need to start kind of catching up a little bit with some of the top six, the sides ahead of them. That, of course, though, is easier said than done. Yeah. And that, that's the one thing. You've, got to, you've almost got to progress on the pitch. And if Everton get back into Europe, particularly if they were to get into the Champions League over the next few years, that would matter a huge deal. Yeah. All of a sudden, then, I think you start getting your blue chip sponsors coming to you yeah, instead yeah, of having to yeah. put in the hard graft, as Alan McTavish will have to do yeah. to attract some of those guys. But, th- I mean, th- there are people interested. We know that. We know that. We know there are people interested. And I think that would go for a, a sleeve if it came up. It would co- go for a kit supplier if that came up. It would go for the matchday pies if they wanted yeah. to move away from Sodexo, who would be the outsourced catering company, to something more um, more kind of local and sustainable. It's all up for grabs, and I think that's what makes this interesting, because how Everton do in securing these commercial deals will have a direct knock-on effect with regards to how much Marcel Brands and Carlo Ancelotti can spend yeah. in the coming season. Well, this is it. And you never know, could finish fifth this season, end up just qualifying for the Champions League, <laughs> qualifying stages, and... Uh, We'll see. I'll tell you what, though. If I mean, we don't know who the sponsor is going to be at this moment yeah. in time. But if it does result in trips to Bangkok, then I'll, I mean, I'll put my hand up now and say that I'm interested in. I think of you. Cool place, really cool place. Just a shame about Chang beer. It's not. Let, let's be brutally honest. It's not the best beer. Is it? Well, I used to live in Thailand, of course. <laughs> I, I taught English for a while. Like, people that don't know in a in a rural it might community. Might be better in Thailand, but I remember in Goodison Park. It, well, no, it's, it's known. It's known as Hangover Juice in Thailand. Oh, really? It's like there are, there are a range of different beers. One that you can get in the UK quite readily, Singer, yeah. and another one called Leo. And Chang is very much the third best beer in terms of quality. And I mean, you wake up the next day, you only have to have a few, but it's got a few more ingredients in. Yeah. And it just absolutely messes with your head a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you heard here first. We, we, can, we, can, we can go to Thailand, but maybe not to drink. Yeah. Um, so we'll be celebrating the raising the glass if, as we hope, it might not be a chance. But Andre Gomez is back on the pitch on Sunday at the Emirates in an Everton kit. You're going to be there, aren't you? Everton Arsenal or Arsenal Everton uh, Sunday evening or Sunday afternoon. Uh, and there's a good chance, remarkably quickly after that horrific injury in November. Gomez could be back in Everton midfield, whether it's from the start or coming off the bench. Either way, it's an incredible fast turnaround, isn't it? I, I can't believe we're actually saying this, to be honest, and it, it's taken me a few days to get over that since we found out the news the other day from, from the club. What was he? He played in a behind-closed-doors game on Sunday, last Sunday, and the time between that and the injury that was sustained against Spurs in November was 105 days which really yeah. puts into perspective when I tweeted out the other day um, football injury expert Ben Dinnery who actually does some stuff with the with the athletic on the site every now and then he said that that's the quickest for that type of injury that he's got recorded on his site premier injuries um, so that puts everything into perspective he's it does, been doesn't it? Yeah. healed incredibly quickly and all that Carlo Angelotti said was we considers him to be in contention now to start to start against Arsenal on Sunday in what is a really important game against a direct rival for a European berth so Everton could really do with them back I mean anybody that's read the site recently or heard us will know that we've made quite a, a big deal of the injuries in central midfield how they harmed Silva how they've harmed Ancelotti's yeah. chances in certain games 
uh, even though Ancelotti's obviously done very well. So to have somebody of the calibre of Andre Gomez back, yeah. somebody like real technical ability, good footballer, somebody who can drive with the ball from midfield. <laughs> the, the old cliche for Everton fans is he's like a new signing, and I normally hate that cliche, but I think it's true in this case. I actually do. It, yeah, I agree. I can't really, we can't understate the importance of having him back and uh, consistently fit. So I don't want to be a kind of put a pessimistic slant on it but what you find I think I said this before so forgive me for repeating myself is you often find with these injuries a player comes back plays a couple of games and then um, is then sidelined for a couple of weeks with a subsidiary injury but albeit which is triggered by it being out of action I'd like to hope Everton's medical team taking that into account and he's doing all the right prehab work and he's actually able to come back stay fit because He's huge to Everton's um, and, and Ancelotti's stated aim of more vertical passes, being more on the front foot and getting the ball into channels, up the pitch in an attacking sense quicker, yeah. not going sideways and backwards. And you know that's for, for me what Gomez definitely brings. And you know I, I hope we can see more from him as well. I hope I think he needs to score more goals. Yes, I think he needs to dominate games more. But that's picking it, you know, splitting hairs rather. Just having him back. His vision. I mean, you only have to watch the clips that Everton put out from that game. <laughs> yeah, his elegance, the, the way you can see the channels where the, the, and put the ball into that channel. He's got the ability to see it and then do it. Well, there was one pass, wasn't there, in the in the video, the short highlight package of about five minutes. Yeah, that Everton put together, and it's a chance for Dominic Calvert-Lewin. That's the one I was thinking of. Where he rounds Jordan Pickford, Calvert-Lewin, and is from an acute angle hits the side netting. And it's, it's a pass from Gomez in midfield. Nobody else would see the run there. But it's on his weaker foot as well. So it's the vision. And then it's the ability to execute what was a difficult pass. Clipped pass over the top of the defence at an angle on his weaker foot. And I, I think that some players within the Everton midfield can do that occasionally. Yeah. But can any of them do it with the regularity and accuracy of Andre Gomez? Perhaps not. And that's why he's such a big player for Ancelotti with him playing two up front playing 4-4-2 and placing so much quite so much emphasis on getting the ball yeah. vertically quickly up the pitch now it's going to be it's going to, I think team selection is going to be really interesting because it's first of all the question is do you throw him in from the start from the start oh, it's a big question isn't it that's tough that's really tough particularly because it's away from home against Arsenal yeah. it's not a home to Norwich and obviously if it's lost to Norwich this season at home even though they shouldn't have done. Um, Don't remind me. Awful, awful game. But somebody like him in that kind of scenario to pick a pass, it would be, it would be an easier game for him to come back in, I feel. But there are other issues too. Theo Walcott, as of Thursday when we record this, hasn't trained this week. Bernard had a knock against Crystal Palace, but he's back. He played in the, in the behind-closed-doors game, so he should be fine. Um, and it's just like, how does he go if Theo Walcott's injured? Does he, does he have to play Sadibi on the right? Does he play a Wobie and Bernard as kind of inverted wide players in a in a quite a narrow four and just allow the the width beat to be provided from Luca Dean and one of Seamus Coleman and and um, and Sadibi? I, I don't know. These are all decisions that he mm. he's going to have to make. Some dilemmas for them, isn't it? Yeah, you know what? It's a, it's it's such a shame with Walcott because I think just as soon as he starts to someone what might be almost uh, considered consistency in form and impact. Injuries crop up, and it, it's you do feel for him, but then it's kind of indicative of his Everton career to date, really. 
Um, he'll have one good game and then he'll be injured or he'll have a stinker and then he'll be unable to build on a good game. So let's fingers crossed that he can make it. I think you know it would be symbolic probably for him to, to be involved and to play well at the Emirates club that arguably is still one that's definitely where he's still played his best football. Uh, unfortunately, in terms of his Everton move, but let's not rule him out. Um, you know, he, he's shown this season he's still got on his day. He yeah. can still have an impact. He, he is frustratingly inconsistent, but mm. for me, I've seen signs that um, that he's still be an asset this season. In the long run, we know that that Brands has looked at right midfield, so that's an area yes. where they need to target in the summer. So his competition for places is going to be ever more acute. But that's another reason why it's in his interest if he's you know, serious about being part of it and going forward that he get he stays fit. I know that's not always in his control, but I'd like to see him give it a shot. Um, yeah. It's it is a massive game in a way, and it starts a, a string of massive games. Four team, four games sorry, against Arsenal, United, Liverpool, and then Chelsea, uh, which. Again, if Everton can come through that, you know, relatively unscathed with, with some points, uh, I'm not suggesting they're going to come through it with 12 points, but if they could get, come through it with, say, you know, sort of seven points or, you know, even a, a win and two draws, it's, it's making points that are competing for Europe around them. Yes. Teams, yeah. sorry, drop points, and it does put them in a position of strength, doesn't it? I think so. Like, like you say, it's four games starting with Arsenal and finishing with the Merseyside derby, where they play in either top six sides or what you consider to be direct rivals for a top six place. Mm. If you take points off an Arsenal, then you dent their hopes while simultaneously strengthening your own. So it, it almost becomes the cliche of the six-pointer, doesn't it, in, in that sense? Yeah. Um, and it would only take a few of those, I think. It, say, say they were to beat Arsenal and um, Arsenal-Manchester United first up, all of a sudden then Everton looked like a, a Champions League contender mm. quite easily. But I, th- I think within the four-game spell, we will get an indication as to what the extent of Everton's ambition will be this season. At the end, at the end of the four games, we'll be able to sit down and go, right, Champions League look, maybe looks a bit too far away. Or Everton got through this really difficult run and is still slap-bang in the race for a, for a Champions League. But did we think we'd be saying that a few months ago? Well, if I'll be honest, I didn't. I, I absolutely didn't. Um, Just a bit. No, remarkable turnaround, isn't it? If I'm honest, you know, look, if Champions League was, was on the agenda, you'd take it all day. Of course you would. Do I think Everton are ready for it currently? Not not really. I don't. But if it was an option, you know, absolutely it'd be amazing. Um, Europe, Europa League, however, I think is, is absolutely uh, something they should be, well, they are targeting. Yeah. It should be achievable. And it's it's where it's a need to be in order to materially take the step to a team that's going to be able to one day compete in the group stages of the Champions League and beyond. Mm. But you wouldn't take a, a free hit, and it wouldn't be a free hit because you'd have earned it on right. You wouldn't take it happening this season via City's misfortune or City's, should I say, uh, dalliances with uh, the sort of murky side of uh, FFP. Then who knows what's going to happen? But we'll see. It's quite a lot, as we said. Everton can do, and also might still happen in terms of whether City are unable to qualify. I should say. Yeah, uh, we'll see. We'll see about that. But yeah, it's an intriguing weekend. Um, we also need to um, obviously Everton play on Sunday against Arsenal. Yeah. 
but we do need to flag another game that's happening on Sunday, Everton women against Manchester United. Well, and if, if people read the site tomorrow, they'll find out more about this from you. <laughs> if, if people read the site on Friday, they will have a new piece of content about Everton's new stadium, women's stadium, which is the first purpose-built of its kind in the country. Um, another first for Everton Football Club, a much-needed step given some of the pitches they've had to play on over the last few years. And that's 0.8 miles away from Goodison, Walton yeah. Hall Park, slap bang in Everton's catchment area. Well, they were going to build a stadium there at one point, weren't they? They, they considered building a stadium there at one point. You realise actually when you go to the site that that would have been a really tough ask. All things considered in, in a number of ways, transport, logistics, all that kind of stuff. But Everton women are moving into a stadium that'll be at 1,500 capacity for the game against Manchester United. They are right in the hunt themselves for a place in the top four. I went to the site, got it behind the behind closed doors. Uh, look at how it's coming along ahead of Sunday uh, in the rain, in the, in the Merseyside rain, which has been permanent feature over the last two three weeks. Spoke to the general ma- manager, sort of like a director of football for the women's side, Aaron Little. Spoke to Chloe Kelly, Everton's top goalscorer this year, who's just got back into the England squad. And there's a real good feel. There's a really kind of big, tangible feel-good factor around the women's side at the moment. So if you're not off to Arsenal, get down to Walton Hall Park. It'll be an easier trip than the one to Southport or Marine or Widnes. I'll assure you if they're for good, affordable, top-flight football. Um, that, that's a really good occasion, I think, one to look forward to and a sign that the women's side are making progress as with the men's team. Yeah, and I, I like that as well. The club are first, obviously the first club to have goal nets, first club to have numbers on the back of shirts and now to have a purpose-built stadium for our women's team mm. um, all power to it so I hope that they do the business as well on Sunday and we're celebrating two important wins yep. for the Blues thanks very much for listening as ever uh, like I say keep out, keep an eye out for Paddy's piece tomorrow and uh, going forward for his thoughts and Emmett's and um, what we've got up our sleeve for next week a little shameless plug for my own piece on the side today if you haven't seen it already chronicling uh, Tom and Dom in yeah. New York Fashion Week we did speak about that in the last podcast but if you haven't seen it yet let's just say it's a, it's a, a bit of a, a lighter divergence from the uh, the football talk as the lads uh, enjoyed their winter break in, uh, in, in only how only they know in a very <laughs> colourful sense yeah and, and it follows nicely on from the podcast last week because you've obviously delved into it further you've you've spoken to people about what they got up to had to had research yourself and obviously there's some some kind of really good detail within that piece as to to what they got up to the personalities what effectively what that shows about them as as individuals and i think that's important like we sometimes look at pure footballing ability here but these are people as well they, they react in different ways depending on different yeah, circumstances yeah, yeah. so you get that kind of insight I like that I mean whatever people think about the, the fashion sense or whether they want them to to do that or not I personally quite like it yeah. but it does give you that insight it does and I, I think I, I quite like the idea of Everton's lads and go, going to the Museum of Modern Art in, in New York they're not your typical early 20s footballers that's for sure definitely not alright then well thank you very much for listening again it's been a pleasure and we'll be back next week 